And now I had to recondition my mind to start thinking about other things. And that's what the, the you know, the workshop taught me that I'm going, I'm going to make, have to make a lifetime change. I'm going to have to change my mindset. I'm going to have to do things differently. I, I have to shift everything in my life in order to make that change. Um, I didn't change things immediately. It took a while. I, you know, I sat for a while just not drinking, but, but I didn't change anything. Everything was still the same. I started buying non-alcoholic drinks. So instead of lounging with my bottle of alcoholic wine, I'd be lounging with my bottle of non-alcoholic wine. Um, yeah, it took it. It took some time, but the workshop made me realize that it's it's a long journey. It's a lifetime process. I mean, it's not. It's not a quick trip. You're not just going to go there, be sober, and that's it. It's You have to work on it for a long time. Everybody has to figure out how you're doing it. And you have to just stay on the path. Do it just every day. Welcome to the Tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we enable people to change their relationship with alcohol and then go on to actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. We don't want people to just survive, we want them to thrive. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Hi all, just wanted to give a quick update. Last night I went out with some friends for the first time in a long time alcohol free and I didn't even crave a drink, not at all. It didn't enter my mind, wasn't thinking about it, I wasn't even worried about it and I had attended Janet's uh, wonderful workshop earlier that day with the amazing Lynette, Lucy and Nick and all the information was so fresh in my mind, I thought like, oh no, I don't want that poison in my body. Are you crazy? So I hope it's not too soon to, to say this, but I'm really starting to feel that my mind is changing how it views alcohol. And this is definitely a step in the right direction. So if you want to join our community and get a bit of support, just go to tribesober.com and click on the Join Our Tribe button. Now this week, my guest is someone I actually met years ago when I was consulting in corporates. We got on very well at the time, but then we lost touch for a while. So she was amazed when she heard me on the radio one day, as she had no idea when we met that I had a problem with alcohol. Like many people, I did a pretty good job of hiding it. Shortly after that, she reached out for help as she was worried about her own wine consumption. 
so she came to a workshop and she joined our tribe. In two short years, she's gone from someone who was struggling with alcohol to someone who is not only thriving in her alcohol-free life, but also helping other people, as she is now one of our sober buddies. So I began by asking Louisa to tell us a bit about herself. Um, I live in Eldorado Park, the south of Joburg. I'm a 41-year-old mother of one. Um, I have a 10-year-old boy. He's a lot of fun. He's a bit of a headache, but <laughs> you know how boys can be. Um, I stay with my son and my mom in our family home. I moved back home um, after I went to the UK, I mean to the US for work. And then I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for a living. And I subsequently started a research company. I have a market research agency, which is what I'm doing at the moment. And I have a health catering business which has expanded into baking and I'll tell you all about it at some point in this interview because that's relevant. So Louisa, when did you first start worrying about the wine a little bit? I th- I seem to remember you Facebook messaged me, didn't you, out of the blue and said, I'm worried about my wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, I was so happy and surprised to um, have heard your interview on the radio, one of your first ones um, on 702 um, Jen, you know, we I, I know you from way back. So when I heard your name on the radio and you were doing this World Without Wine thing, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is right up my alley. Um, I've always been aware of that my drinking was going to be bad. So um, around when I was a teenager, I don't know if I came across some literature or something, but I, I suddenly realized that I was already predisposed to becoming an alcoholic because I had a parent who was one. My, my father was a heavy, heavy, heavy drinker. Um, he's late now. And so I became really um, starkly aware of the fact that I might end up becoming a heavy drinker. I did, uh, for most of college, avoid drinking. So I stopped having that little bottle of, um, that glass of champagne that we have on Christmas or New Year. We do that as as black families. (laughs) We have that one glass to celebrate once or twice a year. So when I was about 16, I stopped having that glass because I was like, "Mm -mm, I'm going to become an alcoholic here. I know where this is going. So I didn't touch, I I did touch booze, but I I really regulated it up until I was about 25. When um, I was working now, I, I, I had a stable income. I had a stable life. I worked for the municipality. I, I slipped into this routine of going to work, coming from work, going to gym, buying myself a, a, a storm. And this became a thing. It became, I started having one every single day. And that's when it started. And I, I, I was aware of it as it was happening. Um, not long after that, I was having two, a, a smell of storm, the big bottle. I started having two. And then I, I started having three. And then I moved to a place where I couldn't find storm and I started having a bottle of wine a day. I stayed with my sister. She always had the wine stash. I I think I finished her entire collection (laughs) and she said nothing. (laughs) But I started drinking a bottle a day, a bottle a day, a bottle a day. And that carried on for the next like 13 years. I attempted um, a couple of AA meetings when I was was 25, when it actually started. Um, But they didn't work out really well because, you know, when you're sitting in that meeting and everybody's talking about booze, firstly, you don't feel like those people because they've been trashing um, houses and cars and they're losing their families and I wasn't like that. So I couldn't relate, but also I was getting really thirsty because those meetings happened just before eight (laughs) o'clock, which is when the bottle store closes. So 
I'd be dying to get out of that meeting because I'm, I'm thirsty now, you know. The sun has gone down and I need to drink. So um, I think I went to two of those. They didn't work out. But I was always aware that I needed to stop. So when I saw Janet, um, I think this was somewhere around my 37th, 36th birthday. I, saw ja I heard Janet on the radio and I thought, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. There's an organization out there. So it was always in the back of my mind. Um, I left for the US, but before I did, I was like, oh, I wish you could do a, um, a workshop here. I think it was an avoidance strategy because I knew she wasn't in the US. <laughs> I knew you weren't in the US and I was like, mm, I wish you were coming. Now I have an excuse not to quit drinking. Um, it escalated. You know, I, I feel like in my um, later 30s, I started drinking more. So I'd been drinking a bottle of wine a day for a long time, but then it started becoming like a bottle and a half. I feel like it escalated in New York. Um, the isolation. I didn't. I didn't have any friends there. Um, I didn't know people, and so I drank. I drank, and I had a bottle of. But I used to buy those big three-liter bottles, and I could literally have that in a day if it was a Saturday. I'd have half of it or three quarters of it during the week. So the drinking escalated, and I. I was always aware that it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. When I came back from the U.S., I. I did take a resolution to stop. Um, and I did just before my 39th birthday. I joined the tribe before I, I'd stopped. I, I told myself that I wanted to stop on a nice um, a day I could remember. So that's the 1st of May. So um, I'm, I'm approaching two years. Uh, I stopped and I haven't, actually, I haven't gone back. I have dabbled here and there, but I, I haven't gone back. And yeah, I'm really excited about that. Well done. You, you did come to a workshop, didn't you? How, how long ago was that? Yes, I came to a workshop um, on, I think it was, it was close to my 66th day sober. I, I went to the workshop with no expectations. So I, I didn't know what it's like to be sober. I mean, I'd been sober for about 66 days, but I just didn't, I couldn't fathom the rest of my life <laughs> sober. And when I walked into the workshop, I, I really just wanted to see how, what, what, what's going to happen. And I learned so much about um, the impact of alcohol on your body, your brain, the, the need for connection and, and many other things and how people actually fill the gaps of their lives um, when you stop drinking because you suddenly have these big gaps of time. You have lots of time and how people are filling those gaps Something that uh, one of the things that stood out for me in in one in the workshop was that it was mentioned that we spend so much time thinking about alcohol. I'd never consciously made the, made this connection, but you, when you're a drinker, you're either thinking about you're either drinking, or you're thinking about drinking, or you're thinking about where you're going to get your next drink, or you're just you're planning your drinks. You're always always thinking about your drinks. And it was something that I'd never really thought about until I got there. And I thought, oh my goodness, my world revolved around drinking. When you're at work, you're drinking. When you're at home, you're drinking. When you're with your friends, you're drinking. So, it, you know, that's, that's all you think about. And now I had to recondition my mind to start thinking about other things. And that's what the, the, you know, the workshop taught me, that I'm, go I'm going to make, have to make a lifetime change. I'm going to have to change my mindset. I'm going to have to do things differently. I, I have to shift everything in my life in order to make that change. Um, I didn't change things immediately. It took a while. I, you know, I sat for a while just not drinking, but, but I didn't change anything. Everything was still the same. I started buying non-alcoholic drinks. So instead of 
lounging with my bottle of alcoholic wine. I'd be lounging with my bottle of non-alcoholic wine. Um, yeah, it took it it took some time, but the workshop made me realize that it's it's a long journey. It's a lifetime process. I mean, it's not it's not a quick trip. You're not just going to go there, be sober, and that's it. It's you have to work on it for a long time. Everybody has to figure out how you're doing it, and you have to just stay on the path. Do it just every day. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. That's um, that's so interesting, Louis. So the fact that you, you started off by thinking, okay, all I need to do is stop drinking. But there's so much more to it than that. Mm. And it sounds like you, you came to the workshop at, at a good time. You know, you were already sober, but you were probably in that stage where you're thinking, okay, I'm not drinking. What now? There's, there's a kind of void, isn't there? And, yeah. and as you say, you have to do the work. Mm, definitely. So what have you done with all this time that you've saved when you've not been thinking about drinking, <laughs> drinking or recovering from the drinking? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, do you, the freedom that comes with not thinking about drinking is incredible, Janet. Like, I can't even explain it. I, uh, you, you know where you, every morning I'd wake up telling myself I need to quit drinking. I'd wake up at two in the morning thinking I need to quit drinking. And the entire day I'm thinking I need to quit drinking. I am not buying a, a bottle today. And when six o'clock rolls around, I am buying that drink again. <laughs> so it took up so much of my time. It's crazy. But um, after, you know, when lockdown happened, I was ever so grateful to not be drinking by then. I did take up new hobbies, um, which I thought about for years, but I just never got around to it. So I started hiking when we were allowed out eventually. And this is now my thing. I hike every week with my son. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. And we, we, we're working on our fitness because uh, my son doesn't like exercise. And also he always said to me, you never spend time with me. Th those are the words. Uh, and when I was drinking, I certainly wasn't spending time with him. And he would complain that I never listened to him. And so we take the hikes every Sunday and we spend time. We spend a good four five hours just talking and it's the two of us. So that's a really good thing. I, I enjoy doing that with him. And sometimes we hike in groups and we've really gotten into it. And I've lost 10 kilograms. So I'm yeah. feeling amazing. I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling strong. I've, I've always been into my fitness, but, you know, I, I never lost the weight because I always had the alcohol. <laughs> and, and something else that I took on was baking. I've, I've also always baked, but I've never been a regular baker. I started baking during lockdown because uh, when you quit drinking, some people don't know this, but your sweet tooth just comes out of nowhere. And most drinkers don't have a sweet tooth because you can't drink and eat cake. So when, when you stop drinking, suddenly you want cake, you want chocolate, you want cheesecake, you want everything sweet. So I started baking a lot and, and then I was like, you know what, now I'm on lockdown and I really have more time. So let me learn how to make some nice designer cakes. So I actually started taking online courses and I learned to make designer cakes, which I've now rolled out into my business. So now I make cakes as part of my business offering. And whenever I feel like something sweet, that's what I have. And I had told myself when I stopped drinking that I can't go back. You know, once you get to a week, if you're me, other people maybe had a better time getting to a week, but it took me 13 years to get to a week, <laughs> a week sober. I, I, I didn't know how you could go for a week without drinking. So once I got to a week, I was like, mm, I'm not going back ever. <laughs> so I, I just told myself that anything is better. If I feel like cake, rather have a slice of cake than have a bottle of wine. If I want to have 
anything. I could indulge. Cinnabons, I'd make those Cinnabons and I'd eat them and I'd be happy to have them instead of drink alcohol. And that was my resolution. If I really, really felt for the taste of wine, I would go and I'd buy myself some de-alcoholized wine. It doesn't taste like wine, but it did the trick. It would, you know, trick my mind into thinking I'm having wine. And that's what I did. I did everything in my power to not drink. So... Yeah, so it's it's all worked out. It's been it's been great. I I hike and I cook and I bake a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that! I love the fact that you've got a much better connection with your son now. Yes, and it's, in fact, it's sad when they say you don't spend enough time with me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And my mom as well. I didn't mention this, but my mom and I had a very volatile relationship for a very very long time. Um, I didn't think it was related to alcohol. Perhaps I was in denial. She was always complaining about my drinking, but I just thought she was overreacting. But when I stopped drinking, though I had not told her I stopped drinking, our relationship immediately changed. It immediately just got better. We just stopped fighting. She didn't know I'd stopped drinking because about six months later, I told her I'd stopped. And she was like, no, you haven't. <laughs> However, we'd stopped fighting. We, we, we just got along out of the blue. So go figure. <laughs> So um, do you ever have pressure? I know we're, we're not socialising much these days for obvious reasons, but have you been in situations, uh, I mean, in New York, for example, where you've, you've been under a lot of pressure to drink and people have said, why, why don't you drink? Have you had to cope with that at all? Look, I've, uh, the, the most pressure I've had is from friends. So I, I have one or two friends who are not happy about me not drinking. They won't say it, but... I know because every time they see me, uh, one of them was so excited to see me. I had a bottle of D-Elk. Um, it was a couple of months ago. And she saw me from a distance with this bottle and she laughed and she was all excited like, ha, my friend, how long did it last? It's over now. So she thought I'd gone back. And she she was delighted at the thought. <laughs> um, and I said, no, I haven't gone back. And I showed her the bottle and she was like, oh, very disappointed. And then I have another one who I actually said to her... Um, just yesterday, she said to me, my birthday's coming up. I want to go clubbing or something ridiculous like that. I'm 41. I don't club. But anyway, she said she wanted to go clubbing. And she said to me, uh, let me know if I should budget for your drinks. I know you quit, but maybe you've gone back. And she's always she always brings it up. Every, every single time I interact with her, she always brings it up that I, I, you haven't gone back, have you? So I said to her, I'm, I still haven't gone back. You don't have to ask me again. <laughs> In, in work situations, I mean, people have probed on uh, that. I think that was actually the biggest change because I worked for a company that had Friday drinks and I was always part of the last men, the last men standing, the ones who are finishing the rest of the booze, clearing everybody's glasses. I was always there. I was I was that group. And then I, I left the company. I came back a couple of years later. I was still drinking when I came back, but I quit shortly after that. So people who'd known me from before were just, they, they couldn't get over it. It was like, you used to drink with us and now you're still hanging out with us, but you're sober. <laughs> so they, they couldn't get their heads around that. But I know that it impacted some of them because a lot of them would come to me and say, how did you do it? Why did you do it? And I know that for the people who would probe me personally, who would come and ask why I'm not drinking, it's the people who had a problem because I used to do it too. When I saw someone who didn't drink and I'd be like, how did you do it? Oh my gosh, better you. I'd, I always just thought it was impossible for me to do it. But I was always curious to know how they did it. And so a number of people would come to me and, and some even told me about their, their stories of addiction and what has happened to their families and how great it is that 
I'm here when I used to be there. And and people would talk to me about it. So I think even even if they didn't stop then, at some point they're going to think back and be like, yo, that chick used to drink a lot and she stopped. And if she can stop, I can stop. Because that's how I stopped um, being part of um, your community, the, the tribe sober community. You know, when someone says I'm on day, when I started, I got excited when someone would say I'm on day 45. I'd be like, oh my goodness, how do you get to 45 days? So those were always like my highlights. I loved hearing stories of people who had recovered, who had stopped drinking. And I loved hearing about how they were living through it. Because I kept thinking to myself, these people used to be me. And now they've stopped, which means I can do it too. So, yeah, I think it's, it's you know, the people have learned to live with it. My family was happy. My friends um, recently revealed that they were about to have an intervention for me. And then out of the blue, I told them I'd quit. <laughs> so <laughs> those were my drinking buddies that wanted to have an intervention with me. <laughs> so you oh, can really? imagine. <laughs> so they were like, oh, they were pleasantly surprised when I said I wasn't drinking anymore. <laughs> so it's been good. It's been good. Um, I don't really explain it to people unless they ask. If they ask me, I tell them honestly that I drank too much. I had a drinking problem. It wasn't helping me, so I had to stop. Um, yeah. The rest of the time, I just say I don't drink. Um, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. And knowing you like I do, I'm sure that you have just as much fun and <laughs> without the booze. I do. I do. And it gets easier and easier. I forced myself in the early days. And it was really hard um, because hanging out with drunks when, when you're sober is not the funniest yeah. thing in the world. But It's boring, isn't it's it? It's so boring. But also, I just told myself that this is life. I'm going to have to do it at some point or another. So the sooner you get it done, just just do it. Just get used to it. Now it's it's just it's a non-event, really. I just, I just do it. Yeah. 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 It's integrated into your lifestyle now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was interesting what you said about going to AA and, you know, they were kind of busy trashing their cars. <laughs> I, I had the same experience at AA because I, I ended up thinking afterwards, oh, well, I'm not so bad. You know, I'm not yeah, exactly. But, you know, deep down you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then when you joined our tribe, you, you found people, you know, that were more that you could relate yeah. to. I think that's it's so important, isn't it? Just to find your people. Do you know when I first so, heard you, when I first, first heard you on the radio, I couldn't believe it. Suddenly it was like, oh, my gosh, if she sounds exactly like me, that means there's a whole lot of other people who are like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Um, do you remember that story you told me about the Valentine's party at your company? <laughs> oh, I love that story. So we, um, I joined the social committee at my company. It was, I joined the social committee because I, I've always had this thing where I feel like I don't belong and I want to connect with people and I, I wanted to integrate myself into the company in one way or another. So I joined the social committee and I was still drinking when I joined, but I quit shortly after that. And then I started pushing for, why do we have to have only alcoholic beverages on Fridays? Um, our first real social event was the Valentine's party. Um... Well, actually, we'd survived the Christmas party as well, where I had forced the... I had, well, I didn't force them, but we, we had a vote. I said to them, look, 
there are a lot of grown-ups in this company that don't drink. So why don't we give the non-drinkers grown-up alcoholic beverages? I don't drink cold drink. I don't drink Fanta and I don't drink Coke. And I don't want to drink those things because I have too much sugar and too many calories. And my weight is not that controllable. So can we please have grown-up drinks so that we also look normal and we're not walking around with a Coke in our hands? And I remember um, our Christmas function, they actually sponsored, they, they put in, we had quite a bit of duchesses, which got finished before the alcoholic beverages. So I think there were people, there were undercover non-drinkers who were not telling us something because the duchess, we had a, we ordered a whole lot. But the, the Valentine's party, they were, you know, we usually get trashed on Valentine's Day at work in the morning. <laughs> um, we, we have a big cocktail punch thing that has every type of booze. We buy all the cheap booze you can imagine. Beef eaters, you know, the stuff that's going to throw you on the floor. And we put that in a big, like, bucket. And the Valentine's party is is is, is cute. You know, they there's a lot of nice stuff. But then there's a lot of booze. And this time I was like, no, we need to cater for the non-alcoholics. And we need to give them a decent cocktail, just like you drinkers. So I was sent off to the shops to go buy all the non-alcoholic drinks that were going in our fruit punch. And a lot of the drinkers drank our punch because they were like, it's more delicious. And I told them, yes, that's because it's made by a former drunk. <laughs> but um, a lot of the, the you know, the non-drinkers were just so happy. They were, and they came to me and they said, you know, for the first time, this company is actually catering for us and are treating us with respect and are treating us like adults. They, they you know, a lot of them said they couldn't stay for social events at work and they never participated in those things because they were never catered to. And now, for the first time, somebody is treating non-drinkers not like um, lepers, <laughs> but they're being yeah. treated like grown-ups. And they're being treated like it's okay to not drink because often the, the non-drinkers are just, you're outcasts, you're just you're social misfits <laughs> who doesn't drink. So they, they were really grateful that now they can be a part of the company and now they can actually hang out with people in the company and hold a glass or a bottle and look normal. So, yeah, that's what we did. And it was, yeah, you know, it was a very good progress. Well, I think they still do it. Yeah, well done you. I mean, that that's huge because I've noticed, you know, particularly in South Africa, sometimes um, the various groups in, in the company, they, they don't mix that much. And, and that's probably mm. one of the reasons, you know, if, if you feel, as you say, like an outcast because you're not getting hammered with the, the other people, yeah, then exactly. you're not going to enjoy it. So mm. I think you've done something amazing there and I'm sure, sure they're still doing it. Mm, thank you. So, Louisa, if you could go back to a time... Uh, when you were drinking like a bottle and a half a day and you couldn't really see your way out of it, what would you say to yourself? Sure. Um, what would I say to myself or what did I say to myself? I wished I had stopped sooner. It's, it's actually a lot easier than I thought it was to quit drinking. I, I suspect it's because I was mentally ready. I was finally mentally ready to do it. Um, because when I stopped, I stopped. However, I had attempted to stop many, 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 many times before that. And I wish I had done it sooner because I think uh, I would have made better choices in life. I think there are a lot of things that would be different in my life had I not been drinking. I mean, I lost a lot of relationships because I was always drunk. <laughs> and I there were there were things that I should have done that I didn't do because I was hungover or I was 
looking for booze. They, you know, they, I, I could have turned my life around sooner. I mean, it's never too late. I'm 41. I'm not, I'm not in the grave. <laughs> and now I'm not doing, at all. you know, and now I'm doing those things and I'm enjoying them. I'm really, really enjoying my life right now. And when, you know, when I go out to places, like when I do my hikes, for example, had I been drinking, I probably would have had a drink in my backpack and maybe I would have gotten injured, highly likely. And I wouldn't have remembered anything about that hike. The one thing I lament more than anything else are the memories that I never had. The memories that never happened. I, I don't remember a lot of things. You know, sometimes you meet someone and they go, remember when we were at this place? And I have no idea what went down. I don't know. I, I know we had fun because I heard we had fun. But I, I don't really know what happened. And often I think when, when I used to drink, I used to make up things in my head about what happened. And suddenly you hear about what happened from someone else and it's a totally different story. And I'm thinking, oh, so that didn't happen like that. <laughs> so I, I, I miss the fact that I did so many fun things and good things and I had great experiences, but I don't remember. My, my time in New York, for example, is a blur, <laughs> mostly a blur. I mean, I, I did, I, I know the things I did because I took pictures, thank goodness. But when I see the pictures, you know, Google uh, pops them up for you, uh, the, your memories. Sometimes I see pictures and I'm like, oh my goodness, I went to this place. Oh my God. But I don't remember those things. And that's sad. Um, so I wish I'd stopped sooner. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Oh, but just think, Louisa, all the beautiful memories you're building now with mm. your, your son and your life going forward. You've got plenty of time. You're just a young chick to me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I'll remember them this time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was quite interesting that your your awareness was very um, high because you, you said something quite profound. You said even that when you were drinking, you know, your bottle and a half a day or whatever, you knew that it would just get worse and worse and worse. And I think that's what a lot of people don't quite realise, that it, it gets its hooks into you, doesn't it? It's kind of insidious. Yes. And gradually over the years, you just need it more and more and you, you can't stop then. Yeah. So, so well done you for recognising recognizing you know you you recognize that it had to stop you didn't quite know how but um you knew that you had to do it which is is the main thing mm, definitely so there'll be people listening to this loiso that are thinking oh i really should do what she did but they, they've got no idea how to start what practical tips would you give someone like that practical tips is it's not like it's it, you don't magically change so you don't stop drinking and suddenly your brain changes and everything changes in your world it doesn't happen like that you have to make the changes you actually have to physically change your life so you you know it's it it takes time the one thing that happens almost immediately is you get tired from all that sleep you've been missing for the past however long you've been drinking and waking up at 2 a.m. and not going back to sleep, suddenly your sleep is back um, because, you know, alcohol disrupts your sleep. And you, you suddenly get tired. Um, first, you start sleeping well. This is what happened to me. I first just started sleeping well, and then I just had fatigue. I just was, wanted to sleep during the day in meetings, at work, anytime I wanted to sleep. Um, and, and then I just started taking supplements. I started taking good natural energy supplements, whatever I needed. I did whatever I needed to stay awake, go to gym, have sugar, have coffee, have anything but alcohol. 
But um, because I drank red wine, it has a lot of sugar. I, I don't know if other alcohol does, but red wine has a lot of sugar. And I think I'd taken out so much sugar from my body by stopping that I had all that fatigue. Supplemented with something else. Something that I, I, I started doing um, regularly was having a smoothie in the morning with all the fruit in the world. People are trying to lose weight will tell you that fruit will make you fat. It's got sugar. But fruit is better than wine. And fruit is better than chocolate. <laughs> so I have all the fruit in the world in that smoothie. And I find that when I have my smoothie, my cravings for sweet things are a little bit less. I started supplementing some of my sugar with sweetener. Um, so that's, that's important. You're going to have sugar cravings. Know that. Um, and I, I, I recommend you give in to them. And just for, for the meantime, until you, you get things in check, eat that sugar until you can, you know, get over it. The other, the other thing is non-alcoholic drinks are your friends. I always tell people that. They're not the most delicious thing. Like, don't think about them as alcohol. Just think about them as a totally different category. I work with a lot of alcohol, uh, alcoholic beverage clients. <laughs> so I, I know a lot about the categories. It's just a different category. It's Don't expect the, the wine, the non-alcoholic wine, to taste like your normal wine. But buy it. It will save your life. If you're going to a party and you have to be at that party or a family function or whatever, take it with you. It will make you feel better. It's You're not going to stick out like a sore thumb with a can of Coke in your hands. And people are going to ask you less questions if you have your own bottle. Because, you know, most, most parties you go to, you bring your own bottle. If you come with your bottle, people don't even read that you're drinking a non-alcoholic drink, by the way. They will leave you alone. If you don't like explaining that story make them your friend and when you're sitting at home if you are into habitual drinking like i was i still sometimes just sit and have i polish a bottle of de elk and that's because it's it's what i always did so have that non-alcoholic wine they are your friends your and i mean i started off having bavaria um the apple cider it was so delicious because it was sweet so i loved that have find find one that works for you and then just have it don't don't be afraid and don't be embarrassed. You don't have to explain any of it. And now there are all those nice gins as well. I mean, I used to hang out with people who drink gin and I'd just have the tonic and I'd put in the botanicals and the blueberries and all the things that they put in and no one would know that I'm not having gin. So drink your de-alcoholized uh, de drinks, do it. And then the, um, the other thing is Quitlet. When I started, Quitlet, for those who don't know, is... It's, it's literature, it's, it's stuff that teaches you about um, the benefits of not drinking, it's people's stories. Something that I did right in the very beginning, and I did it religiously, was I listened to podcasts. There was the Recovery Elevator podcast, which was there before this one was. I, I used to listen to, I used to watch YouTube videos before I found the podcast. I'd watch people's recovery stories. I think someone sent us a video in the, the, our WhatsApp group about this lady who was a reporter. I can't remember her name. But when I watched that story, that story actually moved me because she was a reporter and she had an incident where she she had a day. She, she lost a day. She was supposed to be at work. She got so drunk. She couldn't remember. She got picked up by people. I watched that story and then I just watched stories and stories of other people who were in my situation and got out. And that helped me stay on track for a long time. And then I would listen to Recovery Elevator uh, podcasts. I would listen. 
I would listen to it when I woke up in the morning. I'd listen to it in the bath. I'd listen in the car. I'd listen at work. I did it a lot in those early days because I needed to hear those stories. Because even though those people are in America or South America or wherever, it's that need to connect with people. You need to hear that you're not alone. And also you need to hear that there are other people who are worse than you. It makes you feel so much better. <laughs> so I, I did that. And I did it religiously for, I'd say the first six months of my sobriety, it was a routine. I sat, I, whenever I cooked i'd be listening to a podcast and i did that all the time um and then I, I i slowly started doing less and less of that when i needed it less and less when i was becoming more um entrenched in my sobriety and then that's when i started finding other things to do that's when i started baking and hiking and finding fun things to do when you're sober um yeah so find things to do listen read I haven't read any quick lit books. I mean, I, I I read a book when I was 26 called um, something about the diary of an alcoholic nun. <laughs> I read about this. She was a nun who had joined the AA and she tells you about her journey. So I always remembered that. I remember the one thing, the one saying there that said, it's the first drink that gets you drunk. I never forgot that saying. And I was like, it's so true. But quitlet is really important. Um, I know that people sometimes are like, oh, why do I have to do it? You don't have to do it, but it will really, it goes a long way to help you. And then staying connected with a group of people. I mean, I'm a smoker now. I, I'm trying to quit, but I don't know how to do that because there's no quit smoking group. Whenever I would, um, you know, like when I had work functions and I had to get through that work function without any alcohol, I would be on my tribe. Hey, I'd be on WhatsApp I, and I used to send pictures to the group and say, I'm, look, I'm at a party, guys. I'm still here. I'm sober. And people would go, oh, well done. You know, the, the group is so supportive. They're there, like, they're, they're going kudos to you. They're patting your back. So you feel good about not drinking. So you, you're not going to drink. You're accountable. So stay connected with the tribe. Whenever you feel that craving, go into the tribe. See what people are saying. Because also, people are sharing their stories. And someone will tell you how they attempted to moderate and they fell off the wagon, for example. And then you know, don't do it. Moderating is not going to work. So you, you, if you keep connecting with people and you, um, I mean, the WhatsApp group is so helpful. I'm not, I don't participate on it a lot right now anymore. But it was, it was so valuable in keeping me on the wagon. It, it just kept me going. It was so good to listen to people. And you know when, when newbies come in and you've got 20 days in and someone is like, oh, I'm trying to stop. I'd be there on some, girl, I'm on 20 days. <laughs> you know, so it's it's so good to have people who are in the same boat, whether they're further along than you or, or not. It's good to share your experiences with them and it's so good to learn from their experiences. That's 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 the point of being connected. You learn so much from what other people are going through. You know what not to do because you're hearing it from other people. They're telling you live. It's real people. It's on WhatsApp, you know it's real people. It's not someone on TV that you don't know, you know? So, um, yeah, those were the tips. You know, stay connected. Do your de Have your de-alcoholized drinks. Um, figure things out. Keep yourself busy. Find find what you love. Find something else that you love um, and, and keep yourself busy. Yeah, that's that's wonderful advice, Louis. So, and I love the way um, it sounds to me as if for about six months or so, you really gave it your all. You know, it was all about podcasts, quitlet, sort of finding uh, non-alcoholic drinks that you like, etc. You really made it a priority, and then after that, it gradually got integrated in, into your lifestyle. And that's what I'm seeing more and more, you know, after working with hundreds of people now, that if, if people really make it a priority and give 
give it their all for a few months, six months is ideal. Then after that, you know, it's just part of your life and you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a lifetime struggle. It doesn't have to be one day at a time. You yeah. don't even have to think about it, really, if you you get to the stage where you're at, do you? It's so true. I, I never, ever thought I'd be at a place where I don't have to think about drinking, where when people ask me if I'll have a drink, I just say no. And it doesn't bother me. I, I don't even crave it. I sit with drinkers all day long and I don't even think about it. It gets easier. And I always, uh, you know, I've got a sober body and I always tell her that it gets easier. You just need to take that step to stop. It will get easier. And it's, it's not as difficult as you think it is. It's a lot easier than you think. Just, it's just stopping. If you can get a week under your belt. For me, a week was a miracle. When I got a week, I was just like, I'm never going back. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, well, we we say to people that you need to do this in two steps. You know, first of all, you need to stop drinking and then you need to do the work. You need to create a life you don't want to escape from. And that's exactly what you've done. You're the perfect example. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So thank you, Louisa. It's well done. And you're obviously thriving in your alcohol-free life now. Any last words for us? I, I want to tell people that it really does get easier. You just need to stop. Just just take that first step. You'll see that it gets easier. Um, and you will never regret this decision. It's the best thing you can ever do for yourself. Everything in my life is better. I went through the worst 2020. I was in a funk at work every single day. And if I had been a drinker at the time, I don't know what would have happened to me. I'm sure I would have been fired from my job. Just, you know, just do it. It makes everything better. It makes everything better. It makes everything easier. And you lose weight and you look good. Everybody keeps telling me how hot I'm looking, which I love, mm -hmm. <laughs> and young. It really does make, make everything easier. And also people are... are People can see what you're doing. I, I know that when we are drinkers, we feel like nobody nobody knows, especially when you are able to control your reactions outside. People are talking about it and people are, are worried about you. And if you love your people, you know, do it, do it for those you love. Do it for them because it, it bugs them. Do it for your children. Do it for your parents. Do it for those people if you can't do it for yourself. It's, it's the best decision you'll ever make. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.